Uh, well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here. Uh, my name is Kevin. I'm normally over at the Carlton side of our parish, but today I have the joy of coming and uh, sharing God's Word with you, particularly looking at Psalm 32. Uh, how about I say a little prayer for us? Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks that you are a God who speaks to us, and we pray now as we consider this psalm that you might encourage us to rejoice in the great joy that our sins have been forgiven. And we pray this in this that we would bring glory to you. Amen. Uh, one of the commands that's often repeated in the Bible is the command to rejoice, right? So you see it in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, the psalm that we're looking at today, you might have seen verse 11, right? This command, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, or you upright in heart. But the command to rejoice is also in the New Testament. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And it's interesting, isn't it, that these are commands that God has given us. It's not rejoice when you feel like it. No, the command is to rejoice. And in the words of Philippians, it said, well, to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, there's some times in our life where this is, well, it doesn't seem that hard. Life seems to be going well, and we find it quite easy to be full of joy and rejoicing. And yet, there's other times in our lives uh, where that's very difficult, isn't it? Perhaps we're struggling in our life, perhaps struggling in our faith. And the command to rejoice will seem something that is almost impossible. And yet when we're finding it hard, we can remember that as Christians, there is one thing we can always rejoice in. We can always rejoice in the forgiveness of our sins. And you might notice that's the theme of our psalm today. So the psalm starts, verse 1, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Uh, this is a psalm that reflects on the joy of our forgiveness. And if we can focus our attention on this truth, right, something that we know to be true from God's Word, as we remember that great joy, well, I think it can't help but make us want to rejoice and be glad in what God has done for us. Um, and so that in mind, we're going to be focusing our attention on Psalm 32 this morning. Now, the psalm, the structure is quite straightforward. So verse printed on your, on your outline there, verse 1 and 2 is an introduction to the psalm, tells us what the psalm's about. Verse 3 to 5 is a story of the psalmist. They share from their experience. Verses 6 through to uh, 9 is the encouragement of the psalm. And then verse 10 and 11 is a conclusion with that call to rejoice. Uh, the psalm does give us a, a little bit of information about the context well, very little bit. Uh, it's a Davidic psalm, right? And uh, as Romans 4 told us, that confirms this was written by David, right? Great King David from the Old Testament. He was the one who wrote this, uh, this psalm or poem. Uh, but we're not given any further information about when in David's life he wrote this. Uh, it could have been around the very public sin in David's life. You might remember uh, the sin of adultery for David, the sin of murder uh, it could be uh, around that time uh, or perhaps another time in David's life. We know that he was a sinner uh, and perhaps many times he could have reflected on his sin. But there's one other thing that we can say about the context of this psalm 
uh, is that it comes before Jesus, right? The psalm is in the Old Testament, seems like an obvious thing to say, right? Written before Jesus. But it's just a reminder for us, I think, that there was forgiveness offered in the Old Testament, right? There was forgiveness in the Old Testament. God had given His people the sacrificial system, and there was genuine forgiveness. Now, what's very interesting, and we're going to think about this more later in the year when we look at the book of Romans, is that the forgiveness that was offered in the Old Testament was based on a future event, right? It was based on Jesus, on His death on the cross, and we'll think about that more in the book of Romans. But it's just worth noting and reminding ourselves that for the Old Testament believer, forgiveness was possible. In fact, after the very kind of public sin of David, his adultery, his murder, uh, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Nathan and said that his sin had been forgiven. And so it's for this reason that David can write that, well, verse 1 and 2, have a look again. David delights, right? Verse 1, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the man the Lord does not charge with sin and in whose spirit is no deceit. Uh, That last little phrase, the spirit of no deceit, is interesting. It's certainly not meant to be someone who is perfect. Uh, The Psalm's very clear that David was not perfect, right? Struggled with sin. Uh, But I think the idea of no deceit is, is someone who is honest, Right, honest before God about the reality of our sin. And we'll certainly see that encouraged as the psalm as uh, continues. Well, that's the kind of introduction then, verse 1 and 2. Then verse 3, David recounts uh, his own experience, like a, a testimony or story from his life. And he paints this picture of a time in his life where he kept silent about his sin. And he talks about this time and he describes it as a time of anguish, right? kind of physical, emotional, spiritual anguish as he keeps silent about his sin. Right? So look there, verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Uh, they're quite striking pictures, aren't they? Uh, the, the kind of the bones that are kind of brittle, the kind of innermost person as David keeps silent about his sin. Uh, and I think for us as people, we kind of experience a, a bit of this uh, in a kind of human-to-human relationship, right? I'm sure there's been a time in your life uh, where you've had some kind of conflict with someone who's close to you, Uh, maybe a spouse, maybe a family member, maybe a close friend, Uh, someone has done something wrong, maybe you, maybe them, maybe both of you, and because of this, there is this tension, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, this kind of conflict and awkwardness. Every time you think about them or see them, uh, it just kind of makes you angry, right? Uh, And you kind of hold on to this feeling, you suppress it, and it kind of, well, it it gnaws at your bones, doesn't it, as you hold on to that. But then the joy, right? There comes a time where with this person, you, you come to speak openly, right? You talk about what's happened, there's apologies offered, forgiveness granted, and God willing, the joy of reconciliation, right? Do you know that experience, right? The joy of reconciliation with another person, But then how much more with God? 
See, that's what David is describing here. He kept silent about his sin. And as he suppressed this, it kind of gnawed at his bones. Well, until he came to acknowledge his sin before God. But there is another picture the psalm brings. See there in verse 4, he says, My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Uh, Sometimes my kids complain about the heat in summer. Uh, Not recently. (laughs) Uh, But sometimes my kids complain. And it's hard not to do that thing. You know that thing that parents do? Back in my day, right? But it's, it's hard not to do it because, well, back in my day was much worse, right? See, I grew up out in the western suburbs, right, out near Penrith. And in summer, it was hot, right? It was muggy. The house we were living in had a flat tin roof, it had no insulation, so the house was was pretty hot, right? No air conditioning, right? You'd go outside for a bit of relief and it was still hot, right? You try and do anything and what happens? Well, your strength is drained, right? And that's that's the picture uh, that the psalm is painting here. But I remember in that those summer days, you know, when you're feeling the oppressive heat, and then you would hear that the southerly change is coming, right? And you'd, you'd listen to the news. You couldn't check on an app or things like that, but you'd listen on the news and they'd describe where it was. You know, they'd say, oh, the change is round about Ulladulla now, round about Kayama, and you're waiting and waiting, right, for the time that change will come, that relief from the oppressive heat. And that's what David is describing for us here. As he kept silent about his sin to God, it kind of gnawed in his bones. It was an oppressive heat that drained his strength. And yet that changes. Look there at verse 5. Here's the change. Well, then, David said, I acknowledged my sin to you, God, and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you, God, you, you took away the guilt of my sin. There's this great relief for David as he's honest before God about his sin. And he enjoys the wonderful joy of forgiveness. But here's the thing, right? See, for us as Christians, as we read this psalm and as we read the story of David... Well, we know so much more about forgiveness, don't we? We know so much more about God's forgiveness because we know of Jesus. And so the wonderful truth of the gospel, something that I know many of you already know, the wonderful truth of the gospel is that when we turn to Jesus, we are forgiven. Right? Isn't that a truth that we know and love? That because Jesus died in our place on the cross we can be forgiven. So 1 John chapter 1, Nathan read it for us before. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The wonderful truth is the gospel. It is whatever you have done, whatever you have said, whatever you have thought, there is forgiveness for us as Christians. There is forgiveness as we turn to Jesus. But even though we know that truth, right? And I 
Madden, for many of you, that's not new information, right? We know that truth, at least in our heads. And yet we still find it very easy, don't we, as Christians, to keep silent about our sin. Do you notice the little phrase in the, in the psalm where, where David talks, he says, I did not conceal my iniquity. This idea that he was trying to hide his sin from God. But how foolish is that? I mean, the Lord already knew that the psalm talks about this. It says that the Lord's hand was heavy on me, right? Of course, God knows everything, right? Everything you've done, every word you've spoken, every thought you have thought, God already knows. And yet, why do we try to conceal our sin from God? Reminds me of the the story of Achan. Remember the guy Achan from the book of Joshua? Uh, He was a guy who took something he wasn't meant to. Uh, He took this beautiful cloak and a gold bar, right? He wasn't meant to. And so he decided he would hide it from God, right? So you know what he did? He went into his tent, he dug a hole, and he put it in it. And you think, how foolish, right? Hiding something in a tent, in a hole, of course God would know about it, right? God knows everything. And yet, for us as Christians, there are times, aren't there, where we keep silent about our sin. It's worth just reflecting on that. Why do we do that? God already knows our sin, so why do we keep silent? Is it that we doubt God's forgiveness? Do you doubt that Jesus, the perfect Son of God who died in your place, Do you doubt that he's not able to cover your sin? Sometimes we think that, don't we? Right? It's not true. God promises to forgive anything that we have done. Sometimes we stay silent about our sin because, well, if we're honest, we secretly enjoy that sin, don't we? (laughs) We don't want to be honest about it because we don't want to give it up. But that is not God's plan for us, that is not God's desire. No, he wants us to be honest about our sin and to flee from those things, to know the joy of forgiveness, but to flee. But I think many times the reason we're silent about our sin is because of our pride. Is, is, that, is that true? As I reflect on myself, I think there's many times I'm silent about my sin because I'm proud. And if I'm honest, I'm not willing to admit before God the ways that I've fallen short. And perhaps, perhaps for you, as you hear these words, perhaps, well, perhaps there is a sin that you have been silent about. Is there something you've done, something you've said, something you've thought that you know is wrong, and yet you've tried to conceal from God? You've kept silent about it. God already knows about it, so why not speak to him? And you can feel that wonderful relief that David describes, that renewal of your bones, the cool, subtly change. God has promised to forgive us in Jesus, so why keep silent about our sin? Well, coming back to the psalm, we've had the introduction, verse 1 and 2, the theme of forgiveness. We've heard David's story, verses 3 to 5, and now it turns to the encouragement of the psalm 
in verse 6 through to 9. So if you look there in verse 6, having David shared this story, he gives an encouragement to the reader, to us, and it's, well, it's what you might expect, right? Therefore, verse 6, let everyone who is faithful pray to you, right? David has been encouraged to acknowledge his sin, and so he encourages you as the reader to pray to God, right? Got some flashing lights, right? David encourages you to pray to God, right? To confess your sin and to give thanks to God. But what's interesting about verse 6, right? See there, verse 6, Therefore let everyone who is faithful pray to you at a time that you may be found. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because it sort of suggests there will be a time that God may not be found. I don't, this is actually something we know to be true from God's Word. Right? God has said, whoever turns to Jesus will be forgiven. Right? But there's a limited time for that. It's limited to our lifetime. Right? There will be a time where God will not be found. And so there is a bit of an urgency, isn't it? And particularly if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. Right? Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you've been coming for a little while but haven't made that step yet. There is an urgency. You don't know how long you have left. Right? There will come a time when it is too late. So I can encourage you to turn to Jesus and to know this forgiveness that we've been talking about. But the psalm continues this encouragement by giving a picture of God as our refuge. Right? Look there at, again, verse 6. When great floodwaters come, when troubles come, they will not reach him, the one who trusts in God. Verse 7, you, God, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I think it's really interesting, that idea of being surrounded with joyful shouts of deliverance, right? Because it makes you wonder, well, who's doing the shouting? Right? Have a think about it for a moment. Who's doing the shouting? These shouts of deliverance around David, the psalmist. This is his picture. Uh, can't be David because he's surrounded, right? Can't be him. Can't be God, whose refuge, who he's drawn near to because, well, God hasn't been delivered. So who could it be? Well, it must be other people, right? Yeah, it must be other people. And this, again, is something we know to be true from God's Word. God has promised to save us as individuals. Yes, we turn to Jesus, we've been forgiven, but He saved us to be a people, right? And so as you draw near to God, well, the reality is, is you draw near to God's people, right? Does that make sense? If we draw near to God, we draw near to each other. And as we draw near to each other, well, we can encourage one another with what God has done in our life. But this only works if we're willing to share with one another what God has done in our life. Right? So I've got a little challenge for you today, right? A little challenge at morning tea, right? It's a bit of a dreary day. I imagine we'll be eating morning tea inside, right? Maybe you're starting to think, oh, I wonder what's for morning tea, Right? But morning tea time, right? You could talk about the tennis, you could talk about the weather, right? You could do that. But here's my challenge, right? Could you share about one way that God has been at work in you? Perhaps you could ask the person you're talking to, ah, how did you become a Christian? 
can you tell me that story? Or maybe you could share your own story. Maybe you could ask, what's one thing that you've learned about God? Right? This is why we meet together to encourage one another. And in fact, you notice, this is what this psalm is. David experienced the joy of forgiveness. He told us his story in sort of short form. And he writes this psalm to encourage us. But it's not just encouragement that you can kind of take or leave. In fact, verse 8, he describes it as instruction, right? Look there, verse 8. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. So this psalm, this, well, David gives us his uh, experience, is meant to be instruction, right? (laughs) Instruction to us that we too would be honest to God about our sin, that we would rejoice in the forgiveness. Uh, But I think also that we would be willing to share that joy with others. This is what the psalm is all about, right? It is an instructive word from God. But it's not just... Well, there is a bit of a seriousness, right, to this instruction. Uh, and that's the picture that comes next in verse 9. Now, these aren't my words. These are the words, words sorry, of, of the psalm, right, of God's word. But it says, if you ignore this instruction, what does it say? Well, you are like a horse or a mule without understanding. Right, there you go. That's, that's what it says, isn't it? Isn't that God's word to us this morning? If you ignore the instruction of this psalm, you are a wayward horse or a mule. Right? David just, he says it like it is, doesn't he? Right? But this is the importance of the topic at hand. It's so important for us as Christians to be honest about our sin. So important to reflect on the joy of forgiveness so important for us to share these words with others. See, it's interesting as you get to the conclusion of the psalm, right? Verse 10 and 11, the conclusion. Verse 11, there's this call to rejoice. But do you notice that the commands are in the plural, right? It's not you rejoice, but us together rejoice, right? Be glad in the Lord and rejoice you righteous ones, shout for joy, all the upright in heart. This psalm is not just about rejoicing at home by yourself. It's about coming together to rejoice together in what God has done. And so as we finish, I'm going to ask you a question, right? Now, just to warn you, I want you to answer the question, okay? Right, so you've got to use your mouths to speak an answer to my... It's not a hard question, right? Don't worry, right? But I want you to answer. The question is this. Are you glad that your sins have been forgiven? Okay, that was, that was good, okay? But I think we could do better. Let me remind you of something that you already know, Right? Many of you know this in your head. Because of your sin, because we have turned against God, because we have failed to love others as we should, because of our sin, we rightfully deserve God's judgment. Is that true? But because of Jesus, 
Because the perfect one, the Son of God, (laughs) the King, because he humbled himself by entering our world as a man, he willingly gave his life in our place so that you can be forgiven. He willingly gave his life so that we together could be forgiven. And why does he do it? Is it because we deserve it? No, because God showed us his great love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, for us as Christians, we know the wonderful joy of forgiveness. We know so much more than David. So let me ask you again that same question. Are you glad that your sins have been forgiven? Now, the psalm talks about joyful shouts of deliverance, right? I feel like we're not at the joyful shouts level quite yet. But we're on the way, isn't it? Maybe joyful words of deliverance, right? But I don't know about you, but isn't that encouraging? Isn't that so encouraging to hear our brothers and sisters declaring to us that they are glad that their sins have been forgiven? That together we can rejoice in what God has done for us. Right? That's the encouragement of the psalm. We look at David and we think, wow, what a joy that he experienced sins forgiven. What an, what an encouragement for us. But we don't need to leave it in the psalm. We can continue to encourage one another in this way. And we don't need to leave it to one little moment in our talk. Let me remind you of that challenge from before as we meet together over morning tea. You could talk about the tennis, right? That would be cool. But why not ask someone, how did you become a Christian? What's one thing that you've learned about God? Well, let me say a prayer and pray that we will be people who rejoice and are glad. Let's join together as we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for what Jesus has done We thank you for that wonderful joy that our sins have been forgiven. We're so thankful for your grace and your mercy and your compassion to us. We pray that we would be people who rejoice and are so glad for all that you have done for us. And we pray that in the way that we rejoice and are glad, that we might bring glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.